This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. What's up, y'all? Hi, hi, we're live. Hello, hey. Newmans. Hello. What's going on, y'all? Wherever you are in the world, I stopped saying good morning because some places it's evening, and I love that. I All love over the place. Amazing. Good morning. How, how, hello. <laughs> how are you doing, my friend? How you I doing? Am. I am. I said before we came on, I said I'm tired and inspired at the exact same time. <laughs> Our people will do that. I'm tired, tired of the, the nonsense. And at the same time, I'm inspired because every day I get up and I'm like, there's enough worth saving here. We, we got work. Oh, no work. question. Yes. We can and what's that. the alternative just to, to, to lay down, right? Yeah, I mean, the alternative is to, you know, go into a space of escape. You know, we can we can fill our lives with food, fun, and folly. You know, we can we can yeah. just you know. until reality crashes in and reminds us that it ain't make believe. Shout out to my frat brother and dear friend whose daughter will be graduating in the spring from Howard University. My man Will Packer for keeping body and soul together <laughs> on the blackest day of the Academy Awards that I don't I don't watch, but on the blackest day of that day, reality jumped down and said, wait a minute, y'all know this make-believe, right? <laughs> but we'll kept it together. I'm like, yo, is that, is that, we are, how many times have we talked about this, Rob? You don't talked about, had to talk about it every day, and we did hours in Nubia, but. Somebody, somebody on uh, YouTube, because, you know, we post some of these on, on YouTube. I, I can't believe you didn't talk about, I can't believe you, you ain't talk about this, this. I can't believe you didn't talk about it. I'm like, yeah, I talked about it, just yeah. not here. Right. Just not doing it here, right? In this right. open troll fest form of <laughs> and blight, yeah. I just didn't. I just I didn't post anything here for for the for the animal trolls to to you know grab onto it. Everybody's got an opinion about something. Well, what's your opinion about the future of the world, and what are your contributions to that? And I know I'm not, I'm overstating it because for for many of us it's a release. You know, to well, that's the only reason I brought it up because what you said. I mean, yeah. the, the alternative is to escape into fantasy, but you can't. You may think you can, but you know. <laughs> and, and let me just say, you know, balance is important. So if you want to, you know, go into a, a Bridgerton weekend, you know, and binge watch all of the, sure. you know, the ridiculous and fun and you know interesting things that are out there, you know, watching Kanto for the twentieth time. Live your life. Live your life. Live your life. We live don't talk life. about Bruno. No, no. But yeah, uh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I mean, I I think it's interesting. Though. I mean, whatever you know, and I and I mentioned the slap because that's how people are referring to it. I think what the real challenge—well, not the real underneath all this talk—is community, in the sense that we live in a society that is so so thoroughly curated and sliced and diced and disaggregated, so that the energy that human beings create can be managed and used for the purpose of a tiny fragment of humanity that when one of those things bursts through that captures all of our attention for a moment everybody who has a thought about the human condition what we need to be doing as human beings what we should be thinking about and not thinking about tries to ride that moment where everybody's has everybody's attention to say that some people say, well, I didn't agree with Kareem, but why does no, 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 no. Kareem is using the slap to say something else. July is using the slap to say something else. Roland is using the slap to say something. In other words, it ain't even about that. It's about, Hey, wait, 
look over here and everybody's looking right there so is this the minute i can yeah. deliver something? Let, me, let me tell you something yeah, yeah. yeah. I had Dr. Robin Smith on. Um, she's on every month. She has a show on Sirius XM on Sundays. And, and she said, you know, this moment was about everybody. It was about our individual. And I was like, boom. I mean, that's it. We, we all found ourselves. And, you know, if we're, if we're, you know, I had this talk with my class yesterday. I said, you know, the goal is to find yourself in other people. And if you can find yourself in another human being, it's going to be really hard for you to diminish Ooh. them as a person. And I think, you know, this journey in life is like, let's have community. And find ourselves and you know because we all are in one another if we you know because we're connected we breathe the same breath but i think you know that that is uh you know that's too much uh uh tick non huh you know it's too no it's not no it's not that's where we have to be can we find ourselves in other people and and that if we can then the world i'm sorry human well i guess the world too in the short term I say the world, every time I say the world, I'm thinking the earth and about the fact that the earth is poised to expunge yeah. the, she, the species. You see my mother nature right now, it was yeah. 20, then it was 70, then yeah. it, the freaking, it's like the whiz of the eye. I think I saw, saw flying monkeys yesterday. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> it's blowing. I, it's cold. Hot. Hey, it's earth is like, I got a cold. It's called homo sapiens and i'm gonna sneeze and then my antibodies are gonna fight i had to protect myself Got to. <laughs> you know so, from what from these people and i mean and we're to blame the species and, and i don't mean we're the blame in our current iterations we, we all came out of africa uh, we made some decisions that in retrospect looked like they may have been iffy like i mean some places in the world maybe we shouldn't have went to go and stay just go up and look around and come back where it's warm i mean we don't know but i'm just saying because the cultures that come out of the cultures of selfishness the cultures, the cultures of individuality these things you know shake out to job i mean so many others write about this have talked about this have talked about this you know you adapt to your environment and so when you say we have to find ourselves in each other that is a profound lesson that's a you know egyptians would call that a sebaite that is a teaching because when it's when we think we're different from each other, so deeply different from each other, that we can't be one another, be for one. Like I said, we all breathe, we all eat, we all sleep, we all suffer, we all have joy. If we can't see that common humanity, the result is perhaps there won't be a humanity because that other behavior is going to result in the elimination of species. I mean, I love how, I love how self-centered humanity has become so even the popular culture dystopias and the end of the earth and but y'all really act like somehow you're going to destroy the environment and the environment won't snap back it may take a hundred thousand years or two hundred thousand or a million years but you really think y'all i mean yeah you could blow it up yeah you could but ain't no celestials in the heart of the earth that's gonna bust the earth apart thanos isn't coming with a snap y'all really Science fiction really is how human beings, well, at least how cultures view themselves. Yeah. You think you got that kind of power. <laughs> I mean, two, two months in a lockdown, the ocean and the skies and everything cleared up. Uh, animal, animals is like, word? We can, oh, okay, let's go out and be animals. Yeah. No question. And I was like, are they gone? Oh, God, thank God. Come on, y'all. Right. It was, wasn't it something? I mean, all the, all the tragedy, all the death, all the transitions, terrible. And at the same time, the earth healing itself. How many of us reflecting on March, April, May, June, 2020, 
when we ventured out and smelled that air and saw that deer or that rabbit or saw the bloom of those shrubs and trees in July and August, looked up, didn't see the trails of jet plane, looked around the skies blue the, 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 and thought this is only after like four or five months. It was really, it was remarkable. So maybe we can get to that. We can't. <laughs> I don't. I have no faith in that. You have but, no faith. <laughs> no, but uh, we gonna keep doing this work because I have faith in us to at least uh, try to free as many people before the earth sneezes. Um, How about and, that? And maybe a few of us will survive to rebuild whatever is. Oh, there. no question. No question. But, you know, you you you've been busy this week. We I thought I had busy. a schedule. I said, No. You and that too? What you? We've been busy. Nah, we've been, we we we've all been busy. We both been busy. I mean, you when I get a glimpse now because of these last two years of you know what it means to be in constant dialogue differently because now you know because of COVID we're all sitting here. But when you do it every day in the week, and now it's like seven days a week, and then oh. you added narrative in Nubia, and now it's like constant conversation. And let me apologize really quickly. Uh, Brenda Green has an amazing conference and I'm moderating afterwards and I have not been in communication. So y'all see her tell her, I'll be there today. We are going to be moderating the panel. I will be there. We're going to be short. We're going to keep this one short today because of what happened this week. If that's all right with you, we'll do it real short. And then we'll just kind of pick up next week. And please, when you see my friend, Dr. Brenda Green, um, please tell her I said hello and then duck. Because I'm supposed to be in Brooklyn this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> April, that degree text me. So I just could not make it. So I really want because the writers' conference, the writers' conference, the writers' conference. If y'all have never been to the writers' conference at Mega Evers, it is one of the jewels of the black world, not the United States, not the hemisphere, the black world. And just looking at the lineup, and I was supposed to be dead up in there this weekend, and yeah, I would have everybody's been... there. Larie, um, I, on my panel, I have uh, you know, <laughs> Ibram Kendi and Kevin. Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna. Be I would have loved to have been there to give that work to my friend and colleague uh, Ibram Kendi because uh, drop the link. I don't know. I think it's too late to register, but I'll drop. Oh, the no, link. no, 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 no. I would have. I would have been up in there. But if y'all can watch, yeah, drop the link, please, uh, Doc. Drop the link so people can see because it's an important conversation. Kevin Powell, all those conversations, I hope the slap doesn't drag it in another direction because over the years, Sonia Sanchez, Ishmael Reed, John Oliver Killens, you know, well, it goes back to John Killens, of course. I mean, Mega Evers, which is, of course, one of our great black colleges. You know, you only get the designation historically black college university if you were founded during Jim Crow coming forward. But everybody else is called a you know predominantly black institution so uh, as we've talked about before we, we call mega evers an hbcu and I, well I, it is an hbcu fight us if you want to but i'm right. calling it an hbcu that's right it's a federal designation so i mean i don't even you know right i mean uh chicago state in chicago charles drew out in la mega evers in brooklyn they are black colleges and in the case of uh in the case of mega evers yes from its inception. So if, if HBCU means something, again, that's just a federal designation. It applies to Mega Wiley Evers. When you walk in there, in fact, I was just looking at something because Mega Evers has done a good job of digitizing um, a pretty nice cluster of previous events from there. 
And of course, we know the great Dr. Betty Shabazz for many years was an administrator at Mega Evers and watching her in the same auditorium y'all gonna be in. No, this is virtual. Oh, they're not gonna be there. No, it's virtual. See, virtual. that's yeah. why Dr. Green really gonna get me there because I was because I know they're trying to get back to Brooklyn. When I think Mega Evers, I think of walking those streets. I think about going around where Ebbets Field used to be and stopping at the Jackie Robinson mural. I don't come to Brooklyn, that part of Brooklyn, and not go by the shrines. I mean, you know, Robinson. In fact, you know, we talk about Jackie Robinson in a couple of weeks because April 15th, of course, is Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, white Major League Baseball. But uh, Mega Evers sits at the heart of the black world in many ways because Brooklyn is the whole Caribbean and Africa, and Af which is why what we what what I saw this week in California broke my heart. But okay. I mean, <laughs> anyway, go to, go to tell us, tell us because you know, how did you get dragged? Well, I mean, uh, invited into dragged, invited, and dragged, dragged. I was miscast, which is unfortunate because no, because I would have loved it. Well, anyway, let's, let's just let's just and let me pause here and say that because we're going to keep it short today this is a point of entry conversation and it might take us next saturday maybe the saturday after depending on how we vibe and how we feel and for those who are not uh and not yet in narrative and nubia understand that um on monday night uh, day after tomorrow when we finish on the fourth of april uh, our last part of Martin Luther King's Where Do We Go From Here, which has been a remarkable conversation. Uh, we're reading chapter six, The World House, where he goes international, Dr. King, in this testament to uh, humanity, the global humanity. In fact, he opens and he says, however deeply American Negroes are caught in the struggle to be at last home in our homeland of the United States, we cannot ignore the larger world house in which we are also dwellers. Equality with whites will not solve the problem of either whites or Negroes if it means equality in a world society stricken by poverty and in a universe doomed to extinction by war. When we finish on Monday with Dr. King's global vision, uh, and of course he was killed exactly one year to the day to his uh April the 4th, 1967 speech at Riverside Baptist Church. I'm looking for, uh, um, oh yeah, look, huh. Baba, uh, Baba Vincent Harding, who helped him write that speech. This is his book, Martin Luther King, The Inconvenient Hero. And uh, he talks about that speech, The Land Beyond, in chapter five, The Land Beyond, Reflections on King's Beyond Vietnam speech. Exactly one year, uh, before Dr. King was killed, was assassinated, he gave a talk at Riverside Baptist Church where he comes out against the Vietnam War. And it's very important. I mean, here's a picture that uh, Dr. Harding put in with, here is with Benjamin Spock, Dr. King at the rally. His little child, children are not born to burn. Of course, because this is a white child talking about Vietnamese children who are getting hit with that napalm. Some of you are veterans who were forced talk about being dragged into a conflict and um vincent harding begins that chapter with somehow martin king refuses to die within us among us many years after it was delivered in 1967 his historic riverside church speech beyond vietnam reappears and thrusts upon us a king we had largely chosen to forget i love vincent harding 
I loved him when he was physically alive and I could sit with him and listen to him, his wife, Rosemary, and, 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 and be with them. I love him now to this day because he was a forceful, powerful, he is a forceful, powerful spirit, he and his wife. Um, um, Remnants is her testimony, actually published by their daughter, Rachel. She got it out, which is her testimony, her mother's testimony, her mother and father, very powerful people. And Rachel Harding, a powerful force in her own right. Um, but the reason it comes to me in my mind, his gentleness, the gentleness in his spirit comes to mind. This son of the Caribbean who's raised in New York, born and raised in New York. Um, the reason it comes to mind now is because he says we've chosen to forget. And some of us have, but most of us haven't because we were never taught that king. That's why he named that book, Martin Luther King, The Inconvenient Hero. But when we finish on Monday night in Nubia, where do we go from here? Our conversations have gotten deeper and deeper every week over the month we've been reading this book. And we timed it so that we would end on the day of his assassination. And so that conversation, that Monday night conversation, which began is kind of like, let's all collect in here and talk about what anybody wants to talk about. Uh, last Monday, of course, it was we kind of started with the slap. And it wasn't um, a global conversation as it always is. And uh, the first couple of people who came in, and we usually we, we we're usually just north of a thousand. We usually peak sometime around thirteen hundred or more. Uh, and that's just you know. And again, the momentum is incredible. Just in the course of the last year, and then week after week, you see it growing and getting more complicated and deep and engaging and, and i mean and, and you know it's a lot of a lot of education going on we're all learning from each other and in our in the course of our monday conversation which actually began with some comments from some africans in the uk out of soja and doku came on among other things and mentioned the fact that while the world is talking about this slap between two men of african descent in the u.s you know, the Sudan got bombed again. The French fighting. The U.S. dropping uh, dropping munitions in um, Syria. And East Africa still. You know, there was a long article in The Guardian uh, uh, yesterday about Ethiopia and a truce that has been called, at least for humanitarian purposes, even as the white terrorists out of uh, Russia, Vladimir Putin uh, has refused humanitarian aid from the Red Cross and others trying to get in to certain places in the Ukraine. And the point that Adesojian and Doku were raising was that, you know, we are blinded in society to these real crises, often by the spectacle and uh, afterward, you know, and, and, and over the course of the conversation, you know, it came out that the challenges here in the United States that are unique to African people in the U.S. and not unique at the same time to Africans all over the world in one way or the other, you know, it, it requires us to balance our local experiences with our connecting across these imaginary lines and these places on the globe. And I'm being very delicate about that because 
there is a real challenge that we continue to face to see our common humanity beyond these these socially constructed identities of race and gender. And by gender, I don't mean biology. I mean how we construct these definitions of female and male that we have inherited over generations. And they got weaponized centuries ago in the process of dehumanization. And class, social class, economic class, how do we see each other's common humanity? And then when we think about ourselves as African people, it is very challenging at times to see our common humanity in a society, a global modern society as our friend and brother Howard French has reminded us of in the latest iteration of a long scholarly conversation about this has been dead set against the idea of African humanity for around five, a little bit more than five centuries. And it becomes very difficult because we bump up against those barriers, those imaginary geographical barriers, those very real cultural barriers. And we don't often take the time to seek the common ground because what has intervened is the pain and the hurt of the local experience. So we don't even share our pain. So Monday night in Nubia, as we were talking about, you know, this, this spectacle of the slap and what we might or may not be able to learn from it, or better yet, let's just talk about it and have a conversation. And thank you so much, Prof, for taking that into the governance the governance apparatus that narrative and Nubia are. Who are we to each other? You know, what What also emerged was there's something, as James Baldwin once wrote, that, you know, from birth to death, there's something very personal about being Black in America. And by America, of course, he meant the United States. Even as we saw an Afro-Latina win one of those little statues that looks like Ptah, <laughs> When I, you know, as we see it, you know, with his hands there on the stand, I'm like, that's Patah. Did y'all rip that off too? Oscar. She called Oscar me show. But yeah, we should have our own show. I mean, you know, Will Packer is one of the great creative geniuses of the age in terms of how being able to fuse popular culture with kind of mass appeal and sneak a little lesson in. And I laughed about it. I saw Holly Greenman earlier this week and I said, you remember when, uh, you know, Will's daughter was here visiting and his parents were her parents were there for Accepted Students Day and Will found out that I knew you and <laughs> left her with her mother. Y'all good? Okay, I'll be back. And made me, made me drag him over here to see you because he said when he was an undergrad at Florida A&M watching Sankofa is what got him fired up about making movies in the first place. <laughs> so, I mean, just listening to two of them in the conversation and then seeing this thing unfold last week, uh, Sunday night, and then listening to, you know, the contrast, well, just a beautiful human being in so many ways. But anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that when we were just talking about what that may or may not mean, that moment may or may not mean, it emerged that, you know, it's something very personal about being an African in the United States, as distinct from an African from other places. And 
you know, the sister one statue for West Side Story, and you talk about us about you know Puerto Ricans and Latinx. You know, Africans are there too, and that's a colony still. The Latin one of the one of the colonies of the United States. Oz brought up Baba Oz brought up how to how to empire. The, the whole book which talks about how the United States. We think the United States is that little outline that people see on the map. Now they got stuff all over the place. These colonists, and and so when we get when we logged off, I couldn't go to sleep. I normally don't. Because I got class first thing Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. And but I also had on my schedule um, an obligation to appear before the California Reparations Task Force Committee. There was a study bill, Assembly Bill 3121, which was passed uh, over a year ago now to 2020, I think. I have to go back and look at my my notes, and look at the website. And it was them. it was twenty twenty. Gavin Newsom um convened. Yeah, something about it because you probably you probably got to pull. Yeah, oh, I, talked, I talked about it. So twenty twenty definitely. Gavin Newsom wrote it. Uh, put the task force together, and uh, California is the first state to do this. Um, I know Evanston, Evanston, uh, Illinois, right outside of Chicago, is the first city to actually uh, confront and deal with uh, reparations even though that's not going the way I think people thought it would. And I think this won't go the way people think it would. It absolutely won't. Right. (laughs) Absolutely won't. Thank you. No, that's important because, um, and and again, this one's going to be short, y'all, because it'll give us a chance to really sit with what we're about to do, which is use reparations and use the context of the California discussion and debate to think about relationships between African people. And so, yeah, I mean, the the leader of the uh, Democrats in the assembly, now the California Secretary of State, because the Secretary of State in California was uh, called to come to Washington as a senator to replace the current um, Vice President of the United States, who was the junior senator from California, Kamala Harris. So the guy who was Secretary of State was appointed to take her seat. And Shirley Weber moved from the legislature to this Secretary of State. Dr. Weber, retired professor of African Studies at San Diego State University, one time president of the National Council of Black Studies, formidable intellectual African sister. Um, by that, I mean African born in the United States, but I'm thinking globally. Uh, scholar, warrior, politician, uh, had a guiding, has a guiding hand in that legislation as well. And a commission was was formed, uh, was enacted last evening, now, September 30th, as you say, 2020, established a task force to study and develop reparations proposals for African-Americans, task force, reparations task force. It charges the California Department of Justice with providing administrative, technical, and legal assistance to the task force, and so forth and so on. Well, this is a study bill. In other words, the commission was formed to study the possibility of reparations in the state of California. This is, and you all notice, I, I, I wore my... Uh, in Cobra shirt, National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. Very important to understand that C stands for coalition. Now, council coalition, meaning if you for reparations, you should be in the conversation. And Cobra is the oldest continuous reparation group. And there are other formations, uh, NARC, National African American Research, uh, sorry, Reparations uh, Council, where you bring all the different groups together. My friend, brother, Ron Daniels, um, in Cobra, I've been engaged with, involved with, member of in Cobra for many, many years since you know I was 
I suppose, I guess in my early 20s and mid 20s. And so many of the folk who are in, in who were involved within Cobra or part of the reparations movement more broadly, who now, you know how you see the elephants and you see those white birds picking at the elephant to eat their food. I think of academics that way. They go in the, they go in the ark except they don't, they're not picking from a living creature. They pick from the archive and think they can. Well, for me, you know, people are writing now, they've discovered, meaning, hey, 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 here's a way for me to tell you that I'm worth something when they start publishing with the white university presses and, you know, these interpretations, I call them autopsies almost. Some of them very brilliant, but still autopsies in a sense, because you're writing about a thing as if it is dead, even though you may have put a little afterward in and say, this is a living tradition to move, but they're writing about Mario Bedelli or Queen Mother Moore. These people I knew, you know, I'm soon there. I'm sure they'll try to write about Conrad World and all these folk. Well, these organizations, these movements continue. And, I wore my in Cobra today just at, for this short moment we're going to do today because uh, this was the last time in Cobra was in person. So it was 2019. We were in Detroit. And that was the last time that Congressman Conyers, who, of course, from Detroit, represented Detroit for many, many years, uh, had, you know, occupied the seat for decades that now Rashida Tlaib honorably my estimation that a lot of other people's occupies. In fact, Rashida Tlaib uh, participated in the Encobra conference as well uh, because solidarity is very important. Seeing, I love the way you framed this morning uh, or today, Prof. We have to see our common humanity. And, you know, Congressman Conyers came with his son and he charged us to continue to fight. Of course, he made transition not too long after that. And Sheila Jackson Lee became the lead person in terms of signatories and gathering uh, um, support for H.R. 40, which is the bill to create the reparation study task force at the federal level. Well, California, as California does, has led in that work. And this isn't the first reparations legislation. In fact, I would encourage folk as we're thinking about next week, but we're going to get deeper into this. It's an excellent compendium of documents, essays, historical pieces on the question of reparations. It's called Redress for Historical Injustices in the United States. Michael Martin and Marilyn Yaquinto edited this. They edited it, but when I tell you, this is 2007, that just give you a glimpse at the table of contents when i tell you that there are a number of things in here and around page 470 you begin to get the documents and there are six sections of documents related to reparations federal acts and resolutions beginning with the confiscation acts of the 1882 in fact um where's my friend's book oh you're here uh, Catherine Frankie, who was a professor at Columbia Law School, as I've told you all about her book before, Repair, Redeeming the Problems of Abolition. She talks about those confiscation acts and she focuses on South Carolina and on Mississippi um, as places where reparations of a form were proposed, were actually enacted for a mo- brief shining moment and then betrayed. But these documents are in this volume. In fact, I teach that class, I teach that book, I use that book. I've used it. There's a second edition coming out at Howard Law School. I'll talk again this semester in my class, my, my race law and change class. Uh, Field Order 15 at 40 Acres and a Mule piece is in here. Freedom's Bureau Act, Southern Homestead Act, House Resolutions, 
uh, section. I'll skip over section two for a second and just mention these others again. This is going to be a, a brief one this morning. Uh, and we've had we've had several reparations conversations in class with Carr. Mm -hmm. uh, just we have, and I encourage people to go back and look because we've talked about a lot of this. But now I think you're right. You're absolutely right, and, and really, I wish we would, but not. But let me not use that conjunction. And just like that slap got everybody's attention. This California AB 3121 got everybody's uh, attention because of what happened this week. And it has been misreported, as we would expect, by uh, social structure media, mass entertainment media, news entertainment media. So, yeah, in fact, thank you. Thank you for interjecting because that gets me back in the rhythm. I think we're going to finish. So section three is municipal re resolutions. Detroit, Chicago, San Francisco, New York, D.C., Philadelphia. All these are cities. This is before Evanston. Then section four, advocacy and activism, many of these are the international, na black nationalists and internationalists. Uh, a lot of people don't know the Black Manifesto is in here. Well, part of it, this is actually the book, James Foreman, I showed y'all this before, Black Manifesto, where James Foreman busted up in the church in New York, like give up the money and the churches began putting money to give up. That's, that's private reparations private corporations and there have been legal strategies to sue my sister Ajua uh, Adiatoro in, in Cobra leading that work along with other lawyers serious legal minds um and I won't get too far more into this uh uh the Episcopal Church with case studies uh there's of course the Durban meeting in 2001 we're going to talk about all this again and we have talked about it before but I want to do it wait so people have been studying and pushing for reparations Dr. Oh, Dr. Carr, for yeah, how long? For how long? Uh, well, actually, this is what we're going to talk about. Oh, good. I'm gonna, this is a tease because again, we're gonna have this. Is, I expect it's gonna be more. A lot of people watch our conversations, and I think they're gonna probably gonna be. This is probably gonna expand it even more. Since the first person put their hands on somebody in Africa, if we're gonna get technical about it, the reparations struggle began with the act of violence that made the reparations. Uh, struggle necessary. It's very important. And it has been so badly underinformed that the car crash that I witnessed with a front row seat this week and I participated in on Tuesday. What was the phrase just before you hit the live button? Oh, uh, what did you say? Inspired. I and said, I'm tired and inspired at the same time. There it is. Professor Hunter be dropping in bars, don't she? Not only you do not only teach, then you put it in a phrase, tired and inspired. That's how I felt after I got out Tuesday. So again, I got my eye on the clock, so I'm going to do this real quick. Um, I won't go on to talk about it. Say the Section 5 is case studies. Uh, you know, remember 1997 when Bill Clinton apologized for Tuskegee? He caught all kind of hell. The Oklahoma Commission to study what happened in 1921 and we talked about that and we talked about Tulsa that big report that came out in 21 well they had one in the year 2000 Rosewood Florida 2004 Florida passed two statutes 2004 apology statutes in 2004 the lawsuits several of them are in here um the Department of Agriculture, the Black Farmers lawsuit is in here. In other words, all this stuff we're talking about now and some of that stuff, many, much of that stuff's covered in the California, but I'm going to go back to section two. There have been state level resolutions for apologies. There have been state level resolutions for study. New Jersey, African-American Reconciliation Study Commission Act 2003. Texas, Texas, 
Joint Resolution 2003, Maryland. Joint Resolution 4 in the year 2004. And Michigan in the year 2000. The same year of 2000, California Senate passed the first of two. Wait, this ain't the first? No, California Senate passed one. Senate Bill number 2199 in 2000. And then the Joint Resolution number one in 2001, where they resolved that they told the federal government, get that H.R. 40 passed. And now here we are 20 years later when AB 3121 is passed to create the commission in California, which brings us to Tuesday. I've been asked a few weeks before. And when we were all in Hershey, Sister Nkichi Taifa is one of the, you know, driving forces behind this, Jam Awanor and others. Well, Dr. Carl, will you testify at the California reparations hearings? Well, because of course of COVID, we now can do all this stuff at once. So when we when we get off of here, when we when we pause this for, for, for now in a moment, you know, Karen going to a conference later on. I'm going to another conference and we and nobody leave their house. Is it so in other words, we have been able to preserve our physical form in some ways, all of us, some of us, some people didn't have an option. They had to still work and hope y'all stay safe as this next thing comes around. But in terms of work, we're working more than ever, seven days a week, you know, with time to pause, maybe get a snack, and take a nap and get up and keep working. Well, Monday night I was up because they wanted a written statement and, you know, I had sent something for the record, but now I have to do it in eight minutes. And the conversation on Tuesday was not the conversation I think I would have been more effective in having a conversation with, or at least I would have been more interested in having a conversation with, which is what is the legal basis for reparations and what are the possibilities within the current structure, legal structure, U.S. legal structure for reparations. Although they were, uh, I did watch the testimony of Ermin Chemerinsky, uh, Dean Chemerinsky. I'm looking for his latest book. I know I have it around here somewhere, but I'm um, we're keeping it short today. And so I'm not going to look for it and I probably won't discover it before I sleep. So it's, it's not important. Y'all, it's not, it's not related in that regard. He's a constitutional scholar, the first rank. Although the brother, the grassroots organizer brother who said that reparations, local reparations is not good. And what's happening in Evanston is not good and should be opposed and said that those of us who are Pan-Africanists, uh, when the ancestors look back, we will be seen as traitors. And I, I was like, what, what he called Erman Chemerinsky the greatest constitutional scholar alive, and I was like, Yeah, brother, the little knowledge is a dangerous thing. In other words, I, I get the passion, I get the intent, I get the desire. But when you don't know that you don't know, you can start talking, and people who know it, like, hmm, you know, what else should I kind of listen to for with a caveat? Because Erman Chemerinsky is a, a scholar of the first order, and the way they were talking about his testimony as I'm sitting there listening after I testified and then we had a little question to answer, I'm thinking to myself, that can't be what Chemerinsky said. Because the thing on Tuesday was not about the legal basis for reparations. The testimony on Tuesday was about whether or not race or lineage would be the best way to propose that the California legislature enact reparations legislation for African people in California. But how? how? But how? I mean, when when you factor in race, you and I know, particularly in the South, there's gonna be a whole lot of white folk. Oh, no question. That can trace their lineage to an enslaved person, uh, and, and I guarantee you, at that point, they're gonna be black, just like the native when they did the indigenous peoples, uh, all the casinos. A lot of white people 
self-proclaimed indigenous heritage. That's right. Uh, because you only have to be one thirty-second, right? One to have great, great, great. I mean, it's that's exactly right. In fact, in fact, what you have just described, Professor Hunter, is going to be the place where people say, "Oh, oh, wait, you can't." Mm -mm. First of all, this is a bill to propose to the legislature pathways for reparations. It is not the war. The war is going to be in the California legislature. Nothing has been passed. So all this white face of media, California proposes to exclude continental Africans and Caribbeans of Africans. Only black people enslaved who ancestors enslaved in the United States will get reparations. California ain't proposed nothing. The study commission voted on Tuesday after our debate and discussion. People said, well, Dr. Carr, you voted for lineage. Everybody calm down. My young brother, Irma Chemerinsky is for lineage. No, I went back and looked at Dean Chemerinsky's testimony and he said exactly what I was saying and what I expected he would have said and what he has said elsewhere, which is, this is what he said. He said, first of all, I'm not the messenger. Irma Chemerinsky said, I would, I would support comprehensive reparations. However, given the state of California's constitution, Prop 209, that y'all let them people pass with referendum, that buck dancing Negro war Connolly in them that banned affirmative action in the state of California. Meaning you cannot, by law, use race as a category. He says, that's dead in the water. As soon as you pass legislation, they go into court and gonna get thrown out. He says, and on the federal level, and if you think the state of using race as a criteria for public policy is bad now, wait three, four months. Justice Brown Jackson will be joining Justice Sotomayor in dissent. Maybe they'll let Katanji write the dissent. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. No, she won't. No, she won't. Because when you white nationalists like little Lynn Graham, Lynn Graham, we know you won't go. You're white nationalists, baby. I'm waiting to see what your uh, junior senator from South Carolina going to do. You know, you going to vote against this black woman and live in infamy? I know what Corey said about you giving the greatest speech in the history of the United States Senate. But come on, bro. But anyway, point is this. So actually, Katanji Brown-Jackson will not be right weighing in on this because she told them she's going to recuse herself. So we just left again to our Bariqua sister, Sonia Sotomayor. Because I'd be damned, wasn't Elena Kagan the dean of Harvard Law School? She, she might recuse her damn self. Who knows? It, come on, Sonia. Do what you've been doing. Because <laughs> the rules don't apply. In fact, to, to quote another Sonia, Will Sonia from Birmingham by way of New York, who has been at the Mega Everest Black Writers Conference for many years, who I was sitting next to when she said what I'm about to say, which I've said here before. But uh, Sonia Sanchez, when confronted, when, 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 when uh, approached by a junior member of the faculty who did not have tenure and said, well, I would speak out, but I'm afraid because I got to go up for tenure. And Miss Sonia looked her, Sister Sonia looked her in the eye and said all that diminutive five foot Sonia Sanchez. And she said it that day in Brooklyn. We sitting in the audience, I'm sitting right next to her, loving this. Uh, Margo Nellie Crawford was sitting there too. We all sitting there. She said, <laughs> she looked at that young sister and said, we all up for tenure, motherfucker. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> in other words, there's never a time when you are safe. So I wish Katanji hadn't said that she's going to recuse herself. 
Uh, but I know she thinks she had to say it because she had, you know, she wants God on her side, but she must have that cosplay cold pie in the minor. And the Toonie Loom been taken out of play because Susan Collins says she's going to vote for it. So now maybe she, so maybe if she had said, I'm not going to recuse myself, that may have given Susan Collins the cover she needed to do what she wanted to do in her whole heart, which is vote no. But since she voted for a beer Kavanaugh, it's kind of hard, you know to remain in anyway but uh i guess she thinks she gonna, she's already a thousand years old maybe she thinks she's gonna be two thousand and gonna run for senate mm-hmm. again so i mean and if she just won re-election but anyway the point and all of this takes place on the day of the assassination of martin luther king right yeah oh yeah the oral this is what i'm saying if you think that the problem right the, the yeah they're gonna have to vote and it'll be and she'll be on but she's not what's that what's that no i didn't say anything okay no, thought, but what but if we thought that um, so-called using race in public policy was in trouble before. The case they're about to hear, at the Harvard case with Asian American students, uh, it's not really Asian American students. It's a, it's a shell group funded by the billionaire Ed Bloom, who's been trying to get a reaffirmative action since since he funded Sarah Fisher, non-academic ass down there in Texas with the Fisher cases, Fisher one and Fisher two, where they took another pickaxe to it and looked like Scalia was getting ready to help finish the job. Then he went and snuck out to one of his little private friends' hunting clubs and joined the ancestors, whatever his ancestors are, and they had to have a fight. That's when, you know, the thing started fighting. You know, the real fight jumped out. And Barack Obama, who probably should have nominated Katanji at that point, made the mistake of thinking that he, too, was up for tenure and and, and couldn't speak out, do whatever. So he nominated Mary Garland, and the rest is history. Now we got stuck with the bill. Anyway, but the point is that they about to destroy whatever was left of using race as a criteria, even in education admissions. They've already destroyed it in employment. They've already destroyed it, destroyed it in set aside programs. Some of y'all are young, uh, old enough to remember in North Carolina, some in Virginia, Richmond, the Croson case, the Wigand case, where they just said you can't have set aside quotas. You know, quotas are bad. Quotas are bad. Well, Dean Chemerinsky brought up all those points in his 13 minutes of testimony and question and answer to say, if you try to use race in, as you've proposed this legislation so far, or, or what you're going to propose to these to the legislature to pass, the state going to knock it down in the courts, state courts, and the feds are going to knock it down in the federal court. So race is not in play. I'm watching the testimony like, of course. Yeah. Then he said, so of the two options, lineage, in other words, Establishing that you have an ancestor who was enslaved is the better option. Now I'm sitting there watching him, thinking to myself, this after I testified, I looked at it the next day. Because the way they talked about it, I said, did, Trim- did a worm crawl in Chemerinsky's brain and eat his brain? Because I know he didn't say. So then, I, then I'm listening, I'm thinking, okay, so now what you're going to tell him is the legal challenge is going to say, you said lineage, but you mean race, which is if you know the Seattle and Louisville cases, the education cases, uh, that's what they would say. They say, if, if in any words, anytime you use even a proxy for race, the scrutiny of whatever you pass is going to be strict. We'll talk about all this in, in, uh, as we come up, because I'm got my eye on the clock. We're not, we're not going to be here long today. In just a few minutes, we're going to stop. So that's exactly what he said. He said, lineage will be a better option and then he went on to say something i said during question and answer the day before he said now if you do lineage he said again what i said the day before and what you just said professor hunter he said two things he says it is under inclusive he was being polite 
Because I was on, it was like four or five genealogists, me making the only legal arguments, and then the brother, the grassroots organizer, who said that all of us who are Pan-Africans are traitors, and you know, we don't need no continental Africans. Oh, slow your roll, bro. Because what's what's in my spirit is to get on here and embarrass you. But I know you don't mean that out of a place of anger. It's a it's a place where somebody told you that a lineage-based argument will survive legal scrutiny. And you claiming it was Chemerinsky. But now I'm listening to Chemerinsky. He says, not only is it under-inclusive, meaning, and as and somebody asked the genealogist this question and they couldn't answer. So I jumped in and said, yeah, this is the point. This is the point I'm trying to make. Then the next night, uh, no, Thursday night, Roland Martin, Roland had the sister on uh, the, the chair, Camila Moore, good sister, as far as I could tell. I mean, you know, uh, and, and I asked her these questions and she couldn't answer them either. In fact, she agreed. There's no conflict between any Pan-Africanists or Black and Nationalist view and local reparations. There's no, but of course, I'm sure that pissed off a lot of people who think that there is, who somebody been told there is, and they believe with their whole heart there is, and that is utterly absurd. But anyway, Chemerinsky says it's under-inclusive and do you really think that everybody whose ancestors was enslaved, there's a piece of paper somewhere that'll let you trace the lineage? I was like, I know that's what he said. I didn't even have to see his testimony. It's basic. You, there is no data bank that's going to let all you Negroes who came through enslavement, all of us who came through enslavement in the United States, you can't trace it to everybody. The thing you have to do, and this is where Chimarinsky, I mean, it's absurd. Chimarinsky told him that. And then they're going to act like he didn't when I'm sitting there like, come on, can I, come on now. Come on now. So I just have one, one question, Dr. Carr. What's the goal? Because if, if we're if the goal is to repair the harm done by the 400 year institution of enslavement, which, you know, again, I, I completely get tying your your going back. I can do it. You know, I can go back five, six generations. My father did the work. A lot of us can do it. A lot of us cannot. But the harm of enslavement shows up in institutions. That's right. Education, health care. That's right. Walking in the street, not being harassed by police. Come on. And in that way, you know, I was thinking about it today, yesterday, day before when you, you know, when you were testifying, I'm like affirmative action is it benefits white women more than any other group in this country. They have benefited from affirmative action, which was supposed to specifically deal with the exclusion of us in all of these places. And when I think about redlining and all housing, when you show up with melanin, wherever you come from and land wherever, which is why I think the argument needs to be more global and convene right. these countries, Spain, Portugal, France, England, and all of the countries that participated in this, and they gotta write the check right. for all of us, anybody that has melanin. And I think that, that changes the whole entire argument because this argument divides us in a way that they want us divided. And ultimately, it's going to be a whole lot of white people getting a check if, if it is a check, right? right? Trust and believe that. They will Trust figure them. out how Trust. to trace their lineage and be black as pr and proud as possible. They got better documents. And guess what? They The billionaires will come in. Look, go ask the indigenous people, as you said, you know who runs the casinos in this country? <laughs> no, I'm 150th black, I mean, uh, Native American. Now, I'm going to run, and guess what? If they pay when they pass legislation, you know, all legislation to be effective has to have a budget. You know how much money y'all gonna spend 
paying the Church of Latter Day Saints <laughs> for their records. I mean, could you answer now? Now, mind you, now people are asking these questions every time this question is asked. Well, we haven't figured that out yet. Well, we haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, because this is being driven into the ditch. But 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 it's important for people to understand exactly what you said, Professor Hunter. In in, in the in, in, for two major things. One, affirmative action was supposed to redress previous harm. However, this and and Chemerinsky said this too. See, the problem with when people when lawyers are talking and legal scholars are talking, if you don't if you don't know the background, you hear one thing. But people who know that background hear another thing. When he mentioned Baki. Of course, because see, affirmative action was for redress, repairing harm until the early 70s when Bar when Baki at UCAL Berkeley, that's the school that, that Chemerinsky's the dean at, the law school, Bold Hall. And you've seen after Prop 209, you've seen the number of black people at, at Berkeley Law nosedive. Why? Because now you can't use race as a factor. They're going to finish the job with Harvard, which is a private, uh, well, they get federal funds, which, you know, anyway, point is this. Point I was going to make is this. The Baki versus the Regents of California case converted the rationale for affirmative action from redressing previous harm to diversity. And now there are generations of people who think, oh, yeah, affirmative action is for diversity. It wasn't always for diversity. It wasn't intended for diversity. It's intended as a weak form of reparations of sorts and then even disaggregated by class. Because, again, you're not talking about structural repair, but I'm going to get too far afield because it's almost time to go. And I just want to, like you say, you ask, what is the goal? What is the goal? Well, during my testimony, and this is what Chemerinsky didn't do. And from as far as I could tell, nobody did, which is why I wish I had been on that legal justification panel because here's everything that's being omitted who says we got to play by their rules if you saw this week there was a voting rights case that a district court federal judge in in in, in florida wrote a long almost 300 page opinion where he eviscerated the supreme court all the federal courts and said florida is passing voter suppression laws and it's racist as hell and it violates the, the voting rights act of 1965 and it violates the 14th amendment now people say well that, that's not gonna they're gonna overturn that on appeal so the plain language of the federal constitution does not preclude reparations it is judge-made law interpretation of the statute of that constitution that has done it why do I vote? You vote so politicians who you want or are better than the other ones will pick judges who will interpret the plain language of the Constitution to read the opposite of what these white nasses have done. It's very simple. And so people say, I ain't voting for nobody. Cut the check. What I'm watching there is an almost exquisite stew of ignorance and arrogance. Cut the check. Wow. I get the passion, I get the harm, I get the hurt, and I get the ignorance. This You are making the case for why reparations is necessary. Because you've been so deeply miseducated that you can't see that this is an intellectual war. And once they can't win the intellectual war, you're going to see the intellectual pretense drop and the straight brute hand come out. But we can't even get to that. So the objective in this arena is to say what you want and to do it with by not by isolating yourself. The dean of Berkeley Law told y'all it's under-inclusive. And what I said on Tuesday was we have to, what you said, you have to have a global approach. And I'll say here as we end, I made four major points, tried to make four points in my little eight minutes. 
Number one, demands for and questions for reparations have been raised since before the transformation of Western settler colonies into settler states as a challenge to undertake structural, modern, and social transformation. In other words, you've got to think about who will be eligible for reparations in a grouping that precedes the time there was a California or a United States man. The harm occurred in Africa. And then, of course, well, Africans sold Africans into slavery. I say, pause. Do you, beyond saying that, what do you know about it? Oh, uh, 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 kings and queens, kings and queens. Be quiet, man. Could you go get Howard French's Born in Blackness? Just start there. And that's going to be a port of entry. Because the harm being redressed that you want redressed predates the imposition of today's borders. If you're worried about race and lineage, you have already accepted the terms that will ensure your defeat. Why? It is the legal cut. Y'all talked to Angie Porter about this. I was talking to her because I shot her my remarks. I said, look over this, destroy it, put it back together. She said, nah, this is tight. This is tight. I would add this, add this, add this. Okay, cool. Then, that, and then I made my testimony. One thing she said was, I don't understand why we don't put this legal system on trial. Come propose on. the legislation and then go into court and argue. Do you know how deeply in the bullseye of apartheid Charlie Houston and them boys were? And Constance Baker Motley and them were? They arguing before whole ass racists. But what they said was, if you're going to be a racist, I'm going to make you look your constitution dead in the eye and say, I don't care. And guess what? The other side blinked. Don't be no punk. My question fundamentally was, why we got to pick between race and lineage? If you got to pick between race and lineage, duh, you pick lineage because that's the only, and that is a deeply flawed and ultimately going to be an unsuccessful strategy. The dean of Berkeley Law told y'all that. The one y'all came in for before you even talked to your brother, you went and got the white dude, so he's the chair. Okay. Ignorance and arrogance, cold blended, mwah, chef's kiss, such a delicious pain, deliciously painful combination of ignorance and arrogance. But you've got to have a strategy that thinks beyond. This is why next week we're going to look at Amari Obadelli, America, the nation state. We're going to look at our sister, Dorothy Benton Lewis from Encobra. This is, a, this, is a bot, this is a collection of documents returning to the source via reconciliation, reparations, repatriation, transformation, and African nationalism, creating the future. Dorothy Benton Lewis, an ancestor now. And she is in front of the White House with her petitions. These are from all over South Africa, Ghana, all over the United States. People coming together. We're going to look at the history of Encobra and the reparations movement, a movement too powerful to be ignored, championing a cause too vital to be forgotten. We're going to examine... This book, the first book we read in Philadelphia Freedom Schools, the year 2000, Randall Robinson, The Debt, What America Owes to Blacks. There are many different legal strategies. And then now as I wind up, the second of the four points I made is that questions of race and lineage have cultural, social, and political definitions that are best addressed by studying how they intersect with influence and interact with legal definitions. So we have to do that. And also how they function beyond specific legal definitions in broader historical frameworks. Therefore, popular legal notions of race and lineage are inadequate tools for tracing the harm and those that impacted. And ultimately, if you understand how local reparations, and I'm about local, I mean within countries, can interact in an international framework. In fact, there's a very good book I recommend to everyone by John Monroe called The Anti-Colonial Front. The African-American Freedom Struggle and Global Decolonization, 1945 to 1960. You see how the local structures, Chairwoman Moore, in her presentation, which supported lineage, 
half the people she quoted, and I made this point on Rolling Show when I, ta- I, t- I asked her, I said, why could you help clarify this notion that black internationalism and pan-Africanism are somehow against local reparations since during your presentation where I was at on Tuesday, half the people you talked about, Paula S.E. Robeson, William and Louise Thompson, were black internationalists? She said, no, you're right. You're right. I'm sure some of them nativists, the black nativists were like, what? I told you she couldn't be trusted. No, I told you the chef's kiss of ignorance and arrogance has created this toxic, noxious, and aromatic stew that's going to run you into a cul-de-sac because these people already lining up. Well, hell, if they're going to pass lineage, then let's go get these blood tests together and we're going to get all the money. (laughs) While they spent money at uh, Ancestry.com, we're just going to come in and get all the contracts because I got a slave ancestor somewhere. I I know we can find something. Go back and look at all them plans. We own the plantation, right? Now it's finally time to claim those children that we didn't claim. We do have the records, don't we? I mean, like you said, I mean, come on, y'all. And guess what? Now you're pissed off everybody who suffers the afterlives of enslavement because ain't nobody asked Amadiala Diallo where he came from or Patrick Dorismar or Abner Luima. Ain't nobody asked them when they took their lives or harmed them because the afterlives of enslavement and colonialism are blackness and blackness is a global category with local manifestations. And that has been at the heart of reparations movement at the beginning. And you know, when this country moves, when it's terrified that things outside of its control are going to impact it. Do you know why Brown versus education went through? Because it was after World War II during the Cold War and they was choosing up sides and all them people who looked like us from outside the United States. It's like, yeah, what the hell are y'all doing? Everybody said, them Africans don't care about us. Them Africans don't care about us. A a book I taught, hmm, I thought I had it around here. A book I used at my, when I was in in graduate school that I used for my, um, hmm, I don't know what I did with it. Yekutel Gershoni is an an Israeli scholar. He made transition last year. He fought with the Israeli Defense Forces during the, uh, the war where they made Israel up. Oh, pause. Where the state of Israel was created. Yeah, because I don't want nobody to take my colloquialism as if Israel is not there. No, it's there. It is absolutely there. And you know why it's there? Because people took the mythology of nationalism, the invisible logics of nationalism, and made it real with some guns and some international support. Gershoni wrote a book back in, published in 1997 called Africans on African Americans where he trade, he said, I started asking myself, was Liberia the only place that Africans from the United States came? He said, I found out while many of them went there, the idea of who African-Americans were were all over the continent. So he traces that. I used it in my, one of my intra american States classes when I was teaching at Temple. To help students begin to answer the question, people say, Africans sold Africans into slavery. That is one of the most exquisitely ignorant. In other words, fat-free. Read French's book. Understand that, well, I'm going to get into international law. We're going to do that because it's time to go. The third or the fourth, uh, let me tie what I was going to say though right quick by saying that when you start talking about international law frameworks, none of that means anything if you don't have the power to back it up, just like domestic law. However, when you start talking about them, you have to understand that state relations to states, something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, doesn't predate the modern world. If you're going to back map it, you have grounds for arguing that the people in Africa, whatever they did to each other, whatever those subsets of groups did, was coerced by groups of people who came from outside who knew what was going to happen to the people who ended up on those boats. 
That in itself is a violation of broad frameworks of international law if you backmap them. And so you trace the harm to the continent. You don't trace the harm to the diaspora. And then you see how does that manifest in the diaspora in specific places. So it might mean that you end up still with an AB 3121 study bill that says lineage. But what you haven't done then, you said we got to get beyond lineage to a class formation that can maybe survive legal scrutiny at the local level, but also connect to international networks that will create pressure from outside. What you've done now is announced to the world, we're going it alone. Cut the check. And now what happens to all of those people who've been here 100 years or been here 50 years? What happens to those Nigerian kids from Houston who were born, came out their mama's womb in uh, Harris County Hospital? But, oh, you got to go to the, you got to go to whoever enslaved. Do you really think that the harm that occurs to me every day, I'm from Texas. I don't care. Number three, accordingly, black merely parrots a paradigm of colonialism. And it's inappropriate for any effort aiming to decolonize the modern world. What's the objective? The objective is to decolonize the modern world. And the fourth point I made is that recipients of California's repair efforts should suffer no preclusive impacts. In other words, why are you precluding? Have an opt out, not an opt in. You can't opt in if you ain't got no documents and y'all ain't got no documents. And so I'll end with this for now and then we're going to stop. Because we got you got to go to the conference, and I'm gonna be quiet now. We're gonna keep going. Y'all come back next week. We get into this really deeply into this. At the end of the day, I'll quote Amari Obadelli, American the Nation State. Baba Obadelli said that the underlying theory of his book is that people under the stress of conquest strive to maintain their national identity and to free reconstruct or establish states of their own. At the heart of what we want, we want to be we. We want, you can't reverse what happened, but what's the best way to be restored to your full humanity so you can live your life? That's not an exclusive strategy. It requires an inclusive strategy. Can we see our common humanity? And people say, well, how can you deal with the law? Did you even think about it? Are we so worried about the mother may I rules of a society where those rules are always changing depending on pressure to literally put the gun to your own damn head as if they're going to say, oh, I see. Very compelling. Okay, here's your check. That's a fantasy. I'm going to stop with that. <laughs> just parenthetically, um, the original Israel was proposed to be in Uganda. How about that? Robert Wiseboro, get a book called African Zion. So <laughs> that's right. That's they are locked in the middle of Africa. Mm -hmm. But that's a conversation for another day. And speaking no, no. of you know, people coming together, uh, if Lee Daniels and Monique could come together, because uh, she's going to be replacing Octavia Spencer. How about that? There's hope for us. That's all I'm saying. Lee Daniels and Monique are coming together to produce a film for Netflix. All, all hope is is restored. Can I um, can I ask you whether or not you think that uh, Monique would have gotten that shot if she had stayed silent? She would probably not have. Exactly, California. Please understand this. The reason you can't use race is because they passed Prop Two Hundred Nine. Mm. Are there enough people in California who would want to be included that you could put another proposition on and get rid of that? The answer is yes. Why would you just accept the terms of your opponent? <laughs> right. If Monique had been quiet, 
She's not sitting where she's sitting right now. In other words, this is not the time to say, okay, that's y'all rules. Okay, how can we fit into their rules? What happened to y'all? That is, you, you just created a whole new reparations movement. That ain't got nothing to do with the long range. Well, anyway. I mean, this is why we're in Nubia, to remember who we are. A lot of us are starting our institutional knowledge last year. That's right. You know, and my question is, what did they do before? That's always the question. What did they do before? Dr. What Carl, did what did they do before? What did Because it's always a before. And they probably did it better. We are like a carbon copy ripoff version of the people that did it first. That's the right. people that did it before. And they did it better. Why don't? Why are we working so hard? Just That's pull right. out the blueprints. That's right. Pull out, pull out the blueprints and get rid of fifty percent of them. Get rid of ninety percent of them. But now you got some blueprints. Because guess what? Everybody else in the world got blueprints. You know why them people in Ukraine is fighting like hell? Because they remember before it was the Soviet Union. If they just woke up today, they could believe what Putin says or Russia says. It's not how it works, y'all. And people say, anyway. Enough. We got to. We're gonna stop for today. But right. next week, well, finally, before we stop, stop, stop. Uh, let's put some prayers and and warm feelings out for Dawn Staley to whip that ass, Yukon's ass, with uh, tomorrow. All of it. Gino. So yep. South Carolina. Let's go, South let's Carolina. Go. Look, I, you know I ain't no HWCU, but I'm a Dawn Staley stand. You know what, Professor Hunter? Thank you because <laughs> I know you, and I know that you know this so well. I mean, chapter and verse. That Gino dude at, at Connecticut, he for Gino. Oh. Don Staley represents women's basketball. If it ain't UConn women's basketball, he don't give a damn. I mean, you know, when when women can coach freely in the men's whatever, come on. Uh, there's just too many. I, I just think, you know, he represents everything that's wrong with everything, you know, just kind of lord over the reason why people are going back into the office. That same energy, because I need to lord over, oversee, and be in control of everything as That's a man, right. as a white man. And I just feel like you know, he represents all of that. And I, I got the answer. No, you don't. No, don't stay no, the no, blueprint for what it should look like. And this community, when she gave that little piece of net from the last championship to all of the black coaches Come on. in the NCAA, that's what the community is supposed to look like. And she represents all of that. So I'm she represents South Carolina, let's go. Let's go. Did you see what he said about it? He said, what do you think about it? He said, oh, she's great. Because, you know, Philadelphia produces, because he's from Philly. You going to try to son her now? You going to try to daughter her now? She going to beat that ass. All of it. And we're going to revel in it. Because she got a squad. I know you always cherry picking, trying to find the number one white girls in the history of the world. And, and you, black girls. And black. A lot of black women. Well, a lot of black girls. But, you know, when I look at that South Kakalecki squad, I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's time to get some governance. I mean, yeah. No, this is this going to be a thing. Uh, and I'm looking yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I'll yeah. see some of y'all in the, at the conference. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go and happy birthday to my mama. Today is her birthday. Which, happy uh, birthday! Happy in the, in the hospital, birthday. but you know we we're gonna deal with that. Oh, so. We're gonna send all good energy to her because she gonna keep going strong. You know she gotta make at least that century mark. Did you you sent me the thing about the sister, and I got her book around here somewhere. You gotta yeah. say a word about that hundred year old. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I talked about it on the radio, but she she has retired, and uh, you know, and it just gets we we talked last week about um vanning. You know the van life and all of that, but you know a lot of black folk like to also go to national parks and camp and do all of the no wonderful question. things. And so I just want to say a, a lovely shout out and a happy retirement to Betty Reed Soskin, the oldest active ranger in National Park Service history. She retired at a hundred, 
uh, yesterday, and uh, that that is a uh, quite a feat, black woman. Uh, oh, I watched her. I watched her giving a talk. She's sitting up in there like she's thirty eight years old. Yes, was yes. sitting on a stool with no back, with her legs crossed, talking to. Her. I'm like, how how old did you say? Hundred, hundred. We. We have we have work to do, people. No question. But their blueprints is the point too. Right. So we don't have to start from scratch. Nope. It's a wonderful thing, and that's why we're here. And I nope. love you. Love Immensely. you. Thank you for being in the community and giving us the framework. For there they are. They go. Oh, look. That's look, that's the hoodie. That's yeah. the hoodie right there. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. y'all, Nubians. We'll see you uh, tomorrow. Uh, with the Maroon Medicine test. Uh, yes, and then of course Monday, and then Tuesday we got the Meta Natures back, and then we just on and on. I, on I'm and on. Okay. All right. Now.